1: just as the season was beginning to get underway the international break looms over us but never fear there's still a Blue Moon podcast to give you your weekly dose of Manchester City discussion and there's cause for celebration in the studio this week too for the first time this season the show is not going to be dominated by VAR chat I'm not going to lie it's been that long since that's happened that I'm honestly not sure what we're going to talk about for the next hour or so maybe we'll just do some wedding planning with Richard or perhaps Chris could give us his best horticultural advice other than that we'll be diving into the talking points from City's routine 4-0 win over Brighton on Saturday also on this week's show. We've got the first in a new series of features, taking a look at each of the last 10 years under Shape Mansour. Rob Wilson will be taking us back to August 2009 for the first full season under the new owners. We'll also be catching up with former City winger Terry Cook, and we'll take your questions in Ask the Panel 2. I'm your host, David Mooney, and with me are two City fans in the shape of Richard Burns. Hello. And Chris Iggy Hello. I should not
2: said shape. I'm feeling a bit bloated. <laughs> Sorry about that. Are you, are you okay? Yeah, I'm not too bad. It's just... Uh Rammed my tea uh, a little quickly before I came out. <laughs> Excellent. All of which is absolutely irrelevant. So, well, well keep for that. keep
1: padding because it's International week and We've got nothing to talk about after Brighton. Anyway, let's look at, uh, at the game against Brighton. Then, um, in terms of a of a display, Richard, perhaps it wasn't City's finest showing of the season, um, but it was one of them where it didn't really need to be.
3: No, I mean you score after sixty eight seconds at home. And you know, for City pretty much sets the tone quite early on anyway, doesn't it? Not many teams are um are gonna stare that down and and make a great fist of it. To be fair to Brighton, um I think they were pretty open. Pep spoke about that after the game about how impressed he was and how he'd I mean he, he would say it after a 4-0 win, <laughs> but how much you want to play teams like that. I love but, it when teams play like that against us. Yeah, yeah I bet you do. Loads of space at the back, dead open it's great. Um but they they did, you know, they came to they came to play. Um you wonder maybe whether that's a little bit naive but Graham Potter new to the premier league a reasonable reputation that he's built up already from some from some pretty good work that he's done. Um, game
1: City a tough game against Swansea ex- last season.
3: Exactly yeah. Mm. Um, maybe a little bit different when you've got a Razor game and a cup game at home as to bring in a um, you know a premier league team that already know what it's like to face city down. So the two-time defending champions that I, are renowned for Yeah, exactly. Exploiting space. Exactly. Um but so no, it maybe it didn't need to be the very best performance, but they still need to be on the guard. Um they did they did once again, as they have done in at least once in I think all the games we've played so far, relied on a pretty decent save from Edison at one point. So um I don't think they necessarily coasted to a four nil win, but at the same time, if you put a team to bed four nil and you've you've scored your opening goals, the first two goals pretty early in the match, then no, you you're not gonna have to absolutely get out of second gear too often are you I suppose.
1: Chris in terms of kind of like how the day went um, a goal inside two minutes and then like shortly after quite a serious injury to a key player probably sets the tone if you know what I mean it it, it
2: probably that's probably why City never reached the peak. Possibly yeah there's a bit of a a a double-edged sword isn't it like the obviously the three points decent performance and then Sort of sobering note of Laporte's uh, injury, which I learnt today is like a double whammy of an injury, isn't it?
1: Well, let's—I mean, let's talk about uh, about Laporte because it's—he's it's probably the worst player to lose at City, other than maybe Edison.
2: Yeah, I su- Well, yeah, I, I think uh, I'm sort of surprised you said Edison actually. Um,
1: I always, just off the top of my head, all the other positions, I always feel like you've got players who can move around and, and cover, but Edison, you're kind of then relying on Bravo. Yeah,
2: I suppose, yeah, you can, you can get away with saying that, I suppose. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's a massive player for us, isn't he? He's really um, come into his own, uh, probably one of the first names on the team sheet. The players respect him, the other players, and for good reason. And, you know, similarly, he's not been called up for anything other than fully deserving it, and if anything, it's like, why? what's took you so long? And uh, it turns out he's jinxed him. So well, yeah, cheers for that, France.
1: Yeah. Um, Richard, how worried are you that this could impact City's performances for the next few months?
3: Well, it's a big enough loss that He's such a good player that he's. I don't think he's possible to replace like-for-like like in that team, quite apart from the fact that he's our only left-footed centre-back. Just that natural balance of a right-footer, a left-footer, um, and, and the way that that allows him to play out. He can sort of pick his angles a bit better than having a right-footer on the left. Um, I think that makes a huge difference. Um, obviously, the other defenders that we've got are competent. Nicholas Otamendi, we saw two seasons ago in the Centurion season. He was absolutely fantastic. It's player of the season, wasn't he? Yeah. He was he was he was like a completely different player to what he'd been before. Um, he still has his off moment, but he's a very good defender. So and he can play. He can play out from the back. So no concerns that he can't do the job. Fernandinho, you know, pet pet midfielders and centre backs. To be fair, are pretty interchangeable anyway. Um, throughout sort of his managerial career, there's no reason that as he's getting older, Fernandinho can't drop back. He's done it before, um, but that he can't do that more and more often and fill that role. Um, so I've I've no questions about the competence of the defenders that are going to be there. I've no questions about how they'll build partnerships with John Stones or if Kyle Walker takes a centre-back position and we play a back three or whatever. He's yeah, no,
2: capable of that, isn't he, Walker?
3: Yeah, I've, I've no question about it tactically or individual competence. But I agree with you that Laporte is, just for the, the uniqueness of what he does, um, I think he's a, a huge, huge loss and it doesn't matter how good his replacements are. You it's, can't it's that not it's, suffer for losing him.
1: But it's that he's probably the best at having the ball at his feet and bringing it forward oh, no. out of, out of the, the ones that he's got. I mean, we Declare don't know about, Pascal, Fernand- we don't know about Fernandinho because he he's done that from midfield. So in theory, he should be able to do it from, from centre-half. But I, it's a new position for him, is what I'm saying. Hmm.
2: Also, with, with regard to Laporte, what are we to read into him being in the Champions League squad? I mean... Well, you can change it. You change it after Christmas, don't you? Uh, well,
1: so, so I like you change it after Christmas. You why would, have him in now? I would assume on the off chance that he is available for the last couple of games, and there's you know there's nobody else to put in. Why would you? Why would you just? Why would you? Why would you not put him in? Sort of thing.
2: Well, this is my question. How? What's the prognosis? What are we looking at?
1: Well, it's probably ten to twelve weeks at best, and then you're talking. That's being ready to play. In order to be ready to play back again, you probably need a couple more weeks to well, get back and get to be back honest, to speed. That's, that's
2: better than I'd imagined. Um, which you might be surprised, considering my in-depth medical knowledge. <laughs> but, uh, I was thinking he was going to be out for quite a lot longer. So that's you know every cloud and all that.
1: It didn't look good, did it? I mean, it, the, the the positive is City have uh, released a statement that said he's he's had surgery on his knee and it's you know that it's, it, it's been a success. Yeah. So I mean. Again, you can't read too much into that because we've had other players in the past that have had successful surgeries that have still taken a long time to get back. Mm. But Laporte doesn't have a history of injuries; he's not like it. Feels like that's probably the best you could have, you could have hoped yeah. for from this situation. So, uh, so he, he hopefully should be back soon. Um, in terms of, of Fernandinho, Richard, he came on um, to to play his first game at centre back. Uh, he Found himself in a couple of positions to clear from shots when they were when they looked like they might be beating Edison as well.
3: Yeah, well, I think uh, arguably one of those he could have dealt with better himself. I think, uh, if I'm remembering rightly, the one where the ball came in from the right and maybe he wasn't fantastically positioned or didn't quite read it properly. Uh, but He cruci- read the scuff shot straight
1: onto his forehead. That's yeah, what he
3: did. Yeah, crucially, he was there for the block. Um, he's an experienced player and he? he's a, a very sort of dogged player and determined player. He's probably going to have to be at centre-back a little bit more careful with those, uh, those tactical fouls that he's definitely not instructed to make <laughs> ever. Um, Because, you know, it's one thing making those when you're defending around the halfway line or 10 yards into your own half. It's slightly different when you do it in your own box, isn't it? So uh, he might have to cut a few of those out if he's on the back. Especially when
2: you're in a team that gets... Punished for it far more than most other teams. Well, some I, might say. I, I was
1: going to say. I was going to say though. Surely you'd be on, on good ground because as long as the penalty wasn't given in the first instance, VAR is not going to well, overturn it, is it? For, yeah. For, you know, for
3: if you can still be sneaky, the videos won't matter.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to talk about City's goals because uh, we've gone on long enough without mentioning just the quality of the goals. I thought. I mean, in terms of of actual quality goals, they were all kind of like classics.
2: Yeah, more sumptuous finishes from Aguero. Um, I mean Aguero in particular but yeah yeah, yeah well, that's, that just seemed like the only place to start really um, I just I don't know how how he does it how he just evolves and adapts the way he does it's just absolutely phenomenal
1: I don't. What I don't understand about him is why it feel why you never feel confident with him on a penalty. Given that he can hit it left foot, right foot from you know from two yards out and score from twenty five yards out and score. He's got a good head on his shoulders, can head it. You know he can. It's weird, isn't it? It's like it like death silver. finishes, smashed finishes. He's got
2: it all. Penalties, now. Nah. It's like silver shooting. Sometimes when he's six yards out and the ball is coming to him, you know, on a plate, it's plum, it's a plum on a plate, and, <laughs> and you expect him to finish it off, um, but. Somehow he manages to, you know... Uh, Just roll it back to the keeper to pick up. Yeah, it doesn't make sense, does it? Yeah. Put it through the post or something like that.
1: Yeah. How did, Richard, how did Aguero's first goal, that beautiful team move, not make it into the selection for goal of the month? Um is it just proof that that team goals don't don't yeah, get the credit they deserve
3: they don't i'll be honest i haven't uh, seen all, all of the goals that made it into the competition i've not seen the final list um but it's hard to imagine that there were 10 better goals in the opening four games than that because it was absolutely magnificent every element of it the team play is as good as it gets aguero's touch and the finish like the finish alone is a great goal you had everything else that is it's magnificent.
1: It was the Mares flick to De Bruyne yeah. and then the awareness to let it run as it mm. went past him. Just And then Aguero's touch was like Silver's at Queen's Park Rangers in, in yeah, 2012, yeah. 2011, 2012. Just to that get himself a space. Beats, yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. And a uh, credit to Marez as well. He needs a bit of praise, uh, singling out for, for praise the way he's uh, approached the season. He's really you know, hit the ground running, hasn't he, to use a, a cliche. The second Aguero goal
1: will be, the finish will get all the plaudits. I want to give some credit to David Silva because I think that pass that sets him up is possibly the greatest pass I've seen all season. It just, it, it was one touch, beat three defenders, perfectly weighted, just straight into Aguero's feet without looking. What you've described is standard David Silva. <laughs> That's true, but like it, it's it's one of them where you just don't, it's just not been picked up on, nobody's noticed mm. it.
2: Well, that's the measure of the man, isn't it? He notices things that other people don't, and when he does notice it, he's got the uh, wherewithal to measure it to the millimeter, backspin, whatever, he, whatever it takes. He'll just he'll just knock it through, and bang, bosh, done.
1: Any concerns that his form at the end of last season is uh, was worrying have been quelled in these first what four games?
3: Yeah, I wonder if, um, and I think this might have been mentioned in one of um, uh, one of our fellow podcaster Sam Lee I think he might have mentioned in one of his recent articles that um those cons- or that sort of drop off might have just come from how much football he played mm. um because he was being used a lot and it's it's easy to forget with David Silva because you know he still looks like a boy um especially with that hair transplant roll- <laughs> rolled back the years hasn't he He's looking looking younger than Did ever you think
1: think of it yourself or? uh
3: no I could not pull it off with that sort of style I'm willing to accept that I'm a bald man, David. <laughs> um, nor do I have the money to. <laughs> well, that that <laughs> to, I mean that get. is one option. Yeah. Um, no, but in, in all seriousness, like, is you forget? I think sometimes with the way that he plays the game, how effortless he still makes it look. It's easy to forget that he's a player approaching the end of his career. And I mean, he's in the last, he's last, last year at City, City. Yeah. Um, and wherever he goes after this, it's not going to be quite as intense, is it? Nobody's going to work him quite as hard as Guardiola does. I don't think in in his twilight years. So if he's been relied on two, three times in any week then that's going to be hard for him let alone at the end of a season where City have played 64, 65 games or whatever it ended up being Um, so yeah I think we we can allow him that drop off and hopefully this year um, you know maybe with improved form from Mahrez if Foden starts getting a bit more game time then you can ease him, not ease him out. That sounds terrible, but rely on him less. Adapt at the end to of the him, season. not be, Yeah, it'd be yeah. interesting
2: to see what his levels are like as this season goes on, and whether you know how we do compensate for his eventual departure. Looking forward to uh, The most, emotions you know, on that one. Well, yeah, and and just the you know how to fill the gap, like you're saying, Mares, Foden, how we're going to play it. Uh, it's quite intriguing, isn't it? Yeah,
1: Well, uh, one the final goal as well, even Bernardo Silva's goal, while the finish wasn't particularly the cleanest of finishes, it was still a well-executed breakaway.
2: Yeah, and he's come on and gone straight into the fray. I mean, I don't know what they were expecting, um, but it it does give you an extra edge, doesn't it, when you bring someone on fresh from the bench, even though they know what he's about, even though they know what he's capable of. They've seen it before, but it's, uh, it's one thing known about it. And one thing, being able to stop it.
1: First touch control, second touch in the net. It's uh, You can't ask for more than no. that, really, can you? Um, even the source of the goals, Richard. We were I remember Kieran on last week's show talking about, you know, as much as City were scoring in the early weeks, it was all Aguero and Sterling, and it was the front players that were doing it. Um, Bernardo and De Bruyne are now on the score sheet. So it's they've got the taste for finding the net this season. It's, it starts to feel like, OK, we've hit the international break. This is the point now where thing where the ball's starting to gather a bit of momentum.
3: Yeah, massively. Um, I I think we've had, in the three wins that we've had so far, um, and you know, really should have been four, uh, but in the three wins that they've had, there's been a lot of different qualities shown. Obviously, the uh, opening day win at West Ham ended up being very, very routine, pretty free-flowing football, but we started that game... um, on the back foot might be too strong but West Ham were good similar at Bournemouth and then we had to deal with them um, threatening a a bit of a comeback for a while so we had to dig in Brighton it's the um, dealing with scoring early and just maintaining that pressure maintaining that momentum and yeah like you say we've got different players now sharing the goals around the front Um, I'd like to see us nod a corner in at some point because that's you know doesn't tend to happen too often Um, so it'd be nice to share that around as well but no there's everybody sort of looks like the hitting form um I'd like my Ma- I would like Mahrez to grab a goal. Chris said, like we we don't it it it's worth making a point of praising him for the the couple of really decent performances that he's put in so far. You'd like to see him just to get a goal, I think, just to ease it. You know, get that confidence up. It was the same last year. He took a, a few games to score. You say then. that
1: he looks confident. He
3: does look confident, but you just wonder, to just in front of goal. I think one of the things that I questioned with Marez last season because I thought he got too much criticism but one Mm. of the things that was questionable was his decision making I think in the final third occasionally looked a little bit too keen to impress and got a little bit greedy Um, I think there was clear evidence that that isn't the case so far this season I just wouldn't want him to lapse back into that or for sort of memories of last season to you never know if he goes a few games without a goal it might just start to eat away at him and that desire to impress might come back a little bit again you'd hope not and you know I, I don't know him I don't know what goes on in his head so Maybe that won't be it, but um, I would just like to see him score, and then you know he might he might just be absolutely flying then if he does mm, go from strength to strength.
2: Yeah. Like, yeah, he seems to be a bit more relaxed with his play this season, yeah. doesn't he? And, uh,
3: He's
1: had a year to bed in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, had a could... great summer. Yeah,
2: so. yeah. No, absolutely, he deserves credit for that as well. That's not going to do anything but uh, but help him. But the same was what happened with uh, Bernardo, didn't it? He took a little while to bed in. I don't think he got the criticism that Mauro's got. Um, it's almost as if playing in a Pep Guardiola team is not that easy (laughs) yeah yeah you could say that Um, yeah that's a good point but uh, yeah I expect him to I expect him to go from strength to strength
1: now Richard you mentioned uh, the Bournemouth game where they scored a goal towards uh, I think it was at the end of the first half I'll start the second half I've already forgotten where it went in Um, but it was it was a point in the game where City were they, they then faced a period of pressure after it City were 1-0 up, Brighton had a couple of fairly decent chances, City scored at the other end, and then they had another fairly decent chance where you think, actually, if Brighton, if one of those had gone in, could City have ended up with another period of, of pressure? Do you see what I'm getting at?
2: Yeah, I think we're always open to that, the way we play. Um, a lot of teams seem to have at least one or two really good chances against us, but... At the, at the same time the other end we always seem to whether whether we win 1-0 2-0 3-0 always it,
1: seems to say shots 30 by the end of the game doesn't yeah, it? yeah yeah
2: and it's like well you know they might have had two really good chances but we could have by the same rationale bagged about six so let's not get carried away
1: i i was going to just kind of bring it back around to laporte's injury does does that have any any bearing on the fact that brighton then had a couple of good chances a city Maybe. had to, to
2: reset you could even roll it back to company not being an option um that bit of leadership that rock solid um, force in the middle counts for a lot doesn't it spine of the team you need that at the back
1: now um, in terms of again left backs in, uh, in this game Zinchenko's come in for a, a little bit of criticism slightly too much I think even to the point of of uh, some of the blame for Laporte's injury being put on him because he gave the ball away like five or six seconds earlier. And then you're kind of thinking, well, how far back are we going to take mm. this? Could mm. Rodri have tripped the guy up before Laporte mm. tripped him up, you know? So I, I don't want to put that on him. But there is still this doubt in in a lot of fans' heads that he is an attacking midfielder playing at left-back.
2: Well, it's difficult for City fans, isn't it? We're struggling to find a a niche to wedge our ire into. <laughs> like, where There's always you... got to be someone, hasn't Exactly, there? yeah. He's what do you, what do you want from the man i i struggle to criticize him really because he's not like you say he's not a left back yet he's more than a competent left back so you know give the guy a break i don't know there's always things you could say to improve a player but uh, i think he's doing okay on balance
3: yeah i mean i'd largely agree i do i mean it is fair to If a player has a bad game, it's fair to pull that up. And I think Saturday wasn't his best. You do have to temper it with it's not his natural position and he's still learning it. The whole way that 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 boy has learnt to play football from being a kid is entirely different to what he's having to do now in one of the best teams in the world. So, of course, you have to allow for that as well. I also wonder whether maybe... I don't want to sort of turn into a psychologist here, but whether... The way we're judging Zinchenko after one bad game, after a great season at left-back, I wonder whether there's a bit of a latent memory of what happened to Fabian Delph after a really good season at left-back and it suddenly became apparent that he was a square peg in a round hole and actually his great season at left-back was playing massively above himself. And then when he started to get criticism, it was a bit unfair. I mean, it it was just reviews of his performances, but it was unfair because he he was in the wrong position and he'd lifted himself for a year. And I wonder if maybe people are just almost transferring that onto Zinchenko and just worried that the same thing's going to happen again.
1: But are you worried a little bit about Zinchenko with the fact that he doesn't have Laporte next to him now?
3: Well, it will make a difference if you lose a player that, you know, I think, was it Laporte, other than Edison, played the most minutes last season? So, you know, I mean, I don't have this stat in front of me, but I'm going to guess that almost every time Zinchenko played at left back, he's going he to... He probably had Laporte yeah, next th- to him. chances yeah. are he was next to Laporte. So, of course, it's going to change. It's going to change the way he plays a little bit, the relationships that players build, knowing where to be when one player's on the ball. Just playing next to, we touched on it before, just playing next to a right-footed defender these minuscule things. It's gonna to have to change the angle that Zinchenko stands to receive the ball, which might then change how he can play the next pass. But he's good enough to learn that. So I'm I'm not overly concerned about it. Um the way that these players learn under Pep, the way that he trains them. Um and one of the things that always comes out about Zinchenko is how hard he works and his willingness to learn. Like everybody raves about that.
2: His attitude is ridiculous, isn't it? It's I mean incredible. this is a guy who could have gone to Wolves and probably played where he yeah. where he wanted and played every week. I mean yeah. he pretty much does anyway but He chose to battle for his place in a position that isn't his most familiar and, yeah, credit to him.
3: And some of his best performances have come off difficult patches. That performance against Chelsea in the League Cup final last year, he was man of the match and I think, might be misremembering, but I think that might have been after a ropey couple of games there.
1: I think he, I've got a feeling, again I can't remember, but I've got a feeling he had a a bit of a ropey time over Christmas and I don't think he was in the team for a bit and then Came back slowly came back into the team ahead of that final, yeah. yeah. Um, Chris, final question on the left backs just how do you see it for this season? Just because Mendy's still coming back from injury, I mean, we can't really rely on him to be to an option, shouldn't he? <laughs>
2: and Angelino, um, I am not a sure, a bit, bit baffled by the Angelino situation. Um, it's like it makes financial sense, I guess, or but I mean. I don't know. It's like going uh, going shopping for something that you need, seeing something really well priced that you don't need, and going, "Oh, well, that's a bargain. I love that," uh, and not using it. You know, yeah, I, I know I what you mean. I don't get it, but Pep has proven to know one or two more things about football than myself. So I'm sure it's all part of a. a but we can't get him on the strategy. show. We've tried.
1: We've really tried to get him on the show, and he won't come on. Um, final couple of questions for the first part of the show, um, Richard. How do you assess the start of the season? They were at the the first kind of marker for the uh, for the, the international break.
3: Really, really good. The only um, the only real, you know, we've, we've overcome different kinds of tests already. Um, the only real blot on the copybook is the Tottenham game, um, and it is. You know, there's obviously aggravating factors or mitigating factors in why that game was a draw. Um, but it could but have been dead and buried. We did twice let a lead slip. We didn't take our chances uh but the the plus side of that is um that was one of our best performances under Guardiola even in conceding two goals and dropping two points we were absolutely phenomenal in that game some of the way we played um had me convinced there and then that we'll go on and win the league i'm less convinced of that now because liverpool it turns out was still pretty good as well um but we were phenomenal that day and as dropping two points got at home goals it was really enjoyable so i'm i'm happy with the start
1: city liverpool for the narrative again chris
2: <clears throat> absolutely um let's not ruled var out of being uh, a vying vying, vying for the narrative there Uh, (laughs) really really does worry me the way it's been in its current state
1: yeah but i said i promised that we wouldn't talk about that this week so right at the start of the show don't make
3: promises that you can't keep david (laughs) that's what you've learned where's the var jar i'll put a quid in it
1: Now then, this season on the Blue Moon podcast, we're taking a look at each of the last 10 years under Sheikh Mansour. To kick us off, it's 2009-10, the first full year under the new owners. Here's Rob Wilson to head on a
4: trip down memory lane. Ten years ago, in August 2009, the world was a very different place. The UK had a Labour government, with Gordon Brown as Prime Minister... The first Apple iPad was still 8 months away, and Manchester City were about to enter an exciting new era. Almost a year to the day since Sheikh Mansour had completed his takeover, a new look City team went to Blackburn, with manager Mark Hughes under pressure to deliver after a disappointing first season at the club. City had spent big that summer, the first time they'd had a proper chance to with their new riches, and Premier League stars like Emmanuel Adebayor, Carlos Tevez and Gareth Barry were in the squad. It took Adebayor just three minutes to open his account, and despite Blackburn pressure, a late Stephen Ireland strike sealed the 2-0 win. After the game, Blooming podcast panellist Andy Dolan had a couple of concerns.
2: We did have quite a few chances on the counter,
1: and we didn't take them until Stephen Ireland got that goal right at the end, maybe against better teams. That might cost us if we don't find our shooting boots.
4: The win at Ewood Park was followed by 1-0 wins over Wolves and Portsmouth, with Adebayor scoring in both. He would make headlines the next week too, during an early season crunch tie with Arsenal. There was bad blood after his decision to leave the Emirates that summer, and with City leading a tight game 2-1, this happened.
3: Good advantage played again by Mark Lattenberg. Sean Wright Phillips, by. Oh! Well, that is the moment that he has dreamt about. And so too of Manchester City. An Emmanuel by goal against Arsenal. And he sets off to celebrate like never before.
4: That celebration has gone down as one of the most famous in City's history. And it sparked the already tense atmosphere to boil over. They won 4-2 and continued their 100% start to the season. That would end, though, in dramatic style in the first Manchester derby. An equaliser from Craig Bellamy in the 90th minute made it 3-all, and City thought they'd snatched the a point, but they hadn't. Speaking on the podcast after that 4-3 loss, Andy Dolan thought City only had themselves to blame, even though the goal arrived in the 7th. Of four added minutes.
2: If you concede four goals, particularly the two had us to Darren Fletcher that we conceded and defend poorly across 96 or 97 minutes. It doesn't really make a difference whether it's 90 or 97, you have to be able to defend and
1: uh, we didn't do that.
4: Hughes struggled to recover from that loss. A run of seven straight top flight draws, which was a Premier League record, soon followed. In early December, City got back to winning ways with an impressive victory over eventual champions Chelsea, but the truth was, defeat was never too far away. The manager's job was under threat, and a 3-0 loss at Spurs, for many, was the final straw. Here's the Blue Moon Podcast, David Mooney.
1: I'll be honest with you, that's the lowest I've felt since Mark Hughes was in charge, and. That's saying something considering we lost 3-0 to, to Forrest at, in January of last year and we spent last Christmas in the bottom three.
4: City were lagging behind in the race for the Champions League, and Hughes would survive for just one more game, a 4-3 win over Sunderland. Ahead of the next match, the club announced Roberto Mancini would be their man to try and turn around their form, and he did, with three wins on the bounce. But his first major test was a two-legged League Cup semi-final tie with Manchester United, after a 2-1 win in the first leg, the team were, at one stage, less than 45 minutes from Wembley. But they couldn't hold on, with another last-minute goal breaking hearts in the away end. Vincent Company then in just his second season at City, spoke to the podcast the very next day. The lads were really like shocked by the fact that we were out of that cup so close to the final. But everybody was really motivated to get in there now and, and, and have this top four finish and, and, and maybe even go to Wembley in the FA Cup. And it's definitely not something that we see as the end of the road, but more like something that brings us closer to, to what we say want we want to achieve. City couldn't make Wembley in the FA Cup either losing out to Stoke in the fifth round. So the focus was back on the top four chase. And with the news of a fallout between Chelsea captain John Terry and City left-back Wayne Bridge, the team pulled off a shock. They went to Stamford Bridge and won 4-2. Speaking on the podcast, panellist Dan Burns was delighted.
5: Bridge oofs the ball clear, and that's how the City move starts. Terry Cockle. With, with a Terry mistake Great, well. is it? It's what It's what everybody wanted. The newspapers are City fans... neutral everybody wanted that to happen it showed that chelsea were nervy it showed that we had something on them you saw Mikel look back twice header was poor terry was lost carvalho didn't step in and
1: hilario and hilario
5: was our man of the match after that
4: big win at the bridge city pulled off more dominant performances with a 6-1 battering of burnley and a 5-1 demolition of birmingham it put them in with a good chance of a top four finish but they had to beat tottenham in early may it was winner takes all A City win would leave them one game away from the Champions League, but a defeat would mean Spurs would be sure to finish in the final qualification spot. A late Peter Crouch header took the points for the visitors, and Dan Burns was on the podcast the very next
5: morning. It's horrible to look back on, isn't it? You know, it's the morning after the night before, there is that desolation there. It's the fact that we were that close. Okay, we're still in Europe, that's the positive I'm taking this morning and there is still a very strong possibility next season we're going to be one of the strongest sides in that competition.
4: A draw at Upton Park on the final day meant that City finished fifth, their best ever Premier League performance. But that didn't stop fans feeling downbeat. The club was clearly heading in the right direction, but there were question marks over whether Mancini would remain in charge and if City could get their transfer targets without Champions League football. The 2009-2010 season was a milestone but there was a lingering sense of disappointment when it was over.
5: I'm Clyde Tilsley. Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah, Barmy Night, Barcelona, all that. Yeah, that Clyde Tilsley. um, You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Enjoy.
0: For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
1: Rob Wilson reflecting on the 2009-10 season. There, I mean, Chris, just just as we look back now, uh, back to that time, it was the it was the half season under Hughes and, and Mancini. Um, what do you remember of of that year?
2: Well, in retrospect, a little embarrassedly, I remember um, thinking, "Well, that's just not cricket, is it? You know, you can't set Hughes like that. It's not, <laughs> that. Just isn't fair." Uh, you know, Mancini in the stands, like you know the, income, you know the incoming manager and Hughes, like knowing he's there and getting his marching orders. And you know, at the time, I was like, I was quite pleased with the way things were going. Um, I mean, not you know not hundred percent, but I thought we were going in the right direction. And it just, I was a bit like, well, you know, it's not really, not really on that. But I'll you know, obviously a new guy now. I'll give him a chance. And uh, yeah, really. Liked Mancini straight away, have done ever since Could
1: you imagine, Richard, after that Champions League disappointment against Spurs In that second last game of the season Could you imagine feeling now As you do as a City fan now, back then?
3: No, because then it always felt like It still felt like things always had to go wrong You know, we were still pretty newly minted um,
2: I still do against Spurs
3: Well, yeah <laughs> Um Told you uh, we wouldn't talk about VAR. I'd... I never mentioned since Spurs. <laughs> um, yeah, we were never... You know, it still always felt like they'd find a way for it to go wrong because they were doing. I have um, sort of key memories from that season. Spurs away, went under Hughes. When, 3-0. Yeah, he played uh, He played Solvino at left-back against Aaron Lennon. And I was, in, uh, I was in, at White Hart Lane that evening.
1: Lennon retired it, him that day, didn't yeah, he?
3: Yeah, it was... It, well, I mean, to be honest, I think he, he pretty much retired Mark Hughes as a top-level manager or any ambition of being a top-level... You know, really top-level manager like people used to speak about. Um, it was awful. Um, and people were... There was a real sort of visceral anger in the away end that day. Like, I haven't experienced it an away game maybe since the Blackburn Cup quarterfinal uh, under Stuart Pearce. It was just... It was horrible. And... Um, and yeah, but then Mancini came in, and I was sort of the same. I didn't really want Hughes to go because, you know, it sort of felt he hadn't had his chance. In hindsight, again, I think that's pretty ludicrous now.
2: What fools but, we were!
3: Yeah. I was going to
1: say, looking back, I, I remember feeling exactly the same. Way. I didn't think it was—I I didn't think it was the right decision to sack Hughes at the time. But now, looking back, it was one of them where I'm, I was actually, you know, I, I, I was unhappy with how it was done rather than what was done.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that.
3: You say that. But City got roundly mocked, and and Gary Cook got roundly mocked for talking about having analysed the points trajectory. But now everybody talks about it. You can't turn on Sky Sports News for somebody talking about points trajectories anymore. And no, that's,
2: that's after two games of a season.
3: As well. <laughs>
1: Well, quite, but uh, we'll, be, we'll be having more of this series we rob throughout the uh, rest of the season, looking back at the last 10 years under Sheik Mansour, but now we're going to move on. And we focused a lot last season on the team from Wembley in 1999, but there's one player we've only just been able to catch up with properly. Terry Cook joined from Manchester United that year, having played against Joe Royal's team for Wrexham on Boxing Day of that season when he was there on loan. I've been speaking to the winger
5: to get his memories of that period. I was out for 12 months, so I thought I'd never play again. I was basically told from... Orthopaedic surgeon at the time that had a 50 50% chance of coming back to play. Uh, I was probably 20 21 at the time. Obviously, to have that devastating news, I mean, it hit me hard. So, it took me over 12 months to get back on my feet. Um, obviously, didn't know how, how I would come back, how I would respond back after such a long injury. But, first thing that I had to get out to play games, got on loan. So, it's actually, I went to Exxon from United on loan. Uh, spent a good month there and it's actually probably the best game I played for Wrexham was actually in City on Boxing Day
1: what was it like when you got there because City had had a, a, quite a poor start to that season um, but the, the form was picking up by that stage
5: yeah I mean I think joining City they were mid-table and, and they, like I said they were struggling um, obviously they got that positive result on uh, Boxing Day in 98 uh, but then I came in February I think it was in 99 and then mid-table um, but I don't know, I don't sound like I've got a big ego or being big-headed, but I, th- I think that was probably the missing piece at the time, just to have that balance in the, in, in, in the squad. I think that really there wasn't really much of an out-and-out winger. And then I came in, I was a wide man. Obviously, I was known for my delivery, my service into the box. I think I was missing that. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a very positive player as well, an attacking-minded player, even though I could do the defensive side. So I was, was up and down old-fashioned winger uh, we don't see many of them these days but I was up and down good work ethic and, and, I, and I think that helped and gave the, the team a bit of a, a boost a bit of a lift and obviously we went on a, a very good decent run I think we lost one game in 21 or 22 something ridiculous and just missed out automatic promotion What do you
1: remember of the build-up to the, the day at Wembley?
5: Um, obviously going through the playoffs it was exhausting like I said, we just missed out on automatic promotion. We just missed out on second place to get promoted, so we had to go through the, the, like that prolonged season and going through the playoffs. and It was just exhausting because we had a, like a hard game against Wigan. Um, obviously, many people know the old stadium. I can't remember what it's called, but God, go and play there and on that kind of surface, and it was just a battle. And obviously, in the game at home, it was one-one, and the pressure was on us. Um, and obviously we end up sque- squeezing through one nil at Main Road for a member, and um, yeah, and, and again, it's just the build up, it, again, it's just like it's really exhausting because you just knew the magnitude of the game, the pressure of the like, 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 from the fans, and and just the pressure knowing that this club needed to be promoted because if it didn't get promoted that day, and I was at the game, and everyone says it, it, it means you would never know where it could be now. I mean. Obviously, you still look at the Championship and the League One. There's like some huge, some huge clubs bigger than some Premiership clubs. Still can't get out of it. You got Leeds, Forest. You got some massive clubs. Obviously, two Sheffield clubs. What I know, one's got promoted now. But again, some huge clubs, and you just never know. It's like, and it's it's nice to see the clubs recognising that and, and, and appreciating what we did, because obviously the contrast between the two teams today and, and in terms of where the clubs the clubs were back in, 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 in ninety nine and to where they are now it's, it's, it's night and day Were you nervous ahead of that game? No not at all no, no. I was nervous when I was taking the penalty though, but lead, in, going into the game I wasn't nervous No, because I knew we were the better team on paper for sure and going into it um, even when I look back watching the Highline stuff we, we, we were the dominant team um, we were pressing the, pressing the game we, we, we were taking the game we, we were more aggressive we were trying to win the game on the day obviously Gillingham they're just trying to pick up on the counter and and the scraps and obviously they did in the last 10 minutes that's when like because we were still pushing we wanted to win it in normal time and obviously they sat back and and done us twice on the counter attack but again it's just credit to the boys and the locker room that time in the dressing room like i've still never experienced that kind of team spirit in in any club i played at Um, and it showed that day like what tight bond the club was like even in in the next obviously where the club was in dire straits but to have that tight-knit family feel and and we stuck together and even knew we didn't give up because we knew we could always come back it's it's a testament to what the boys did in 99.
1: Talk me through your your penalty then
5: yeah I I just remember um, walking up in fact Joe Raw before he actually went around and asked who wants to take a penalty and I know some lads said they didn't want to take one and he asked me and straight away I just said yes. But then thinking, go, what have I just done? <laughs> it's like, oh my God, I just said yes. But I just knew like I had a responsibility of taking one. Um, I didn't think twice of it, but, um, but that's when the nerves did settle in. All game, I wasn't nervous at all. But, but as soon as I said, yeah, and then walking up and, and the stadium, obviously the stands was about half a mile away behind the goal. So, literally, when you put the ball down on the spot and looked up at the goal, the goal looked tiny. It looked like a 5 side goal to me. That's why I kept it hard and low. I didn't even look at the keeper, put the ball down, turned my back, walked out up to the 18-yard line. And then, like, soon the whistle blew a turn, and I just knew I was going to pick my spot. And that's why I kept it hard and low, because, literally, the whole goal just shrunk. And it sounds a bit weird and a bit corny in a way, but it's just like... Yeah, it's seemed seen like 40,000 City fans behind the goal and everything is just like stood still. It's, just, it's, like, a, it's like probably with a movie script where all of a sudden just, the goal just shrinks behind the goalkeeper Vince Bartram and he's standing there, he seems about eight feet tall. And that's why I just banged it in the bottom corner.
1: <laughs> when it, that promotion, how much did that help the following season? The, the, just the manner of, of going up that year?
5: Yeah, obviously the momentum, confidence was high, momentum. Because um, we started the season, the championship on fire as well. and You could just tell the club was on on a roll. The fans were behind the team. Because when I joined the club, obviously the, the fans would, wasn't wasn't had no belief in the team whatsoever. I remember like we used to train behind in the little school at the back of the Kipax. We weren't even warming up on the soccer field. So we used to get on the minibus outside the stadium and drive round to the to the school behind the Kipax. I, I don't know what the school was called, but we was warming up on the gym. So, the, so the club, so the coaching staff at the time took us away from that environment, from not being on on the, on the field because before I came, they knew the lads were already defeated before actually kicking a ball. So they just want to get the lads out of the environment and um, get them into an the environment where they, they felt safe and and so they can just concentrate on the game. But um, it's just yeah, it's just, a, just a weird weird season that was in in terms of how it all transpired and it and it came about, but obviously it was all about momentum obviously you need momentum in any, any walk of life but um, and confidence but that nine to nine game it, it installed a belief in the club with the fans again with, within the team locker room obviously um, confidence and obviously um, as you say the rest is history have got back to back promotions
0: hear all of our city interviews on our website bluemoonpodcast.com
1: Terry Cook speaking to me there. And the full edit of that Terry Cook interview is available for all of our Patreon backers, so go and check it out, patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. We're going to finish now with Ask the Panel. Get your questions in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email via the website, bluemoonpodcast.com, or you can get us on Instagram as well. Just search for Blue Moon Podcast on there. Uh, Curtis Simpson is first up on Twitter this week. He says, Walker seems to be much better against Brighton than Bournemouth. Can his problem be that he tries
3: too hard sometimes? Um, I can see where the question is coming from. Um, I think the way that Walker plays is very sort of uh, wholehearted, and he, he flies into everything, doesn't he? Just because he's naturally fast, I don't think he can be slow if he tries. So I think it can it can maybe look that way. Um, I think I think the problem with Walker is that. I think he's affected when he makes a mistake. So the Bournemouth game, he made a mistake early on, and then he was he was pretty rash into a tackle, and then he does it again ten, fifteen minutes later. If it was even that, um, and finally got his yellow card. Huh? Yeah. So I think maybe his head drops a little bit. And prime example of that last season, sort of early to middle of the season form, he was really, really off key. Like, well below what he'd been the season before, well below the rest of the team. And it took dropping him for a few games to get him back to form. And so I don't necessarily think it's that he tries too hard, but I think he struggles to make up for an error. I think we, you saw um, in the Amazon documentary after the first season how devastated he was after he'd made the mistake that led to Wiggins' goal and they got knocked out of the cup. And it's like, right, OK, good, front up. You know you've made a mistake, but also there were you had 10 teammates on the pitch at nine because delph got sent off you had your teammates on the pitch against the league one side like it wasn't all on walker
2: they were and they weren't able to score
3: so yeah yeah so it's great that he feels it
2: seems Uh, like quite an emotional chap, doesn't it yeah
3: um so no i don't think tries too hard but i definitely think there's something in where his head goes when he's made a mistake needs to rein his uh, emotions yes in
2: in there we go. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that, that completes the sentence. Yeah, we're, we're good at this talking <laughs> thing, aren't we?
1: Um, on a similar note, uh, Bob Toole asks on the emails: uh, Will Pep trust Stones and Otamendi to be the main defensive pairing while Laporte is out, or is it more likely that we'll see Fernandinho and possibly Walker used at centre back, allowing Cancelo to get involved at right back?
2: I think he'll mix it up a bit, to be honest. Depending on you know horses for courses, depending on who we're playing, how they're playing, who has previously played, how they've played. A, I think there's a myriad of factors uh, to to consider there. I don't. I think um, he'll want to get Cancelo in at some point, get embedded in because I think we're going to need him because it's you know it's a squad game, isn't it? Uh, he only, he's
1: only had a couple of minutes on the pitch so far as well, and mm. it, you just kind of you kind of wonder if Walker is at, at times you know he needs a little bit of a kick up the backside.
2: Yeah, definitely. I don't know. I, I think Walker is going to be perhaps more. Useful there than Fernandinho, and I, I don't know how, how right that is, but I just I think we'll need Fernandinho elsewhere on the pitch. Whereas not, with I'm Kinsella sure. and Walker, you're not.
1: I'm really not sure. I'm not. What I do you think of
2: Walker for England when he played in the the right side of that back three?
1: I think he I think he does okay when it's a back three because the, the shape of the team can change, mm. and I think when it's a back four, I don't. I'm, I'm not sure. I think I'd fancy Fernandinho more like than. Right, okay. Well, yeah, I'm happy to be uh, as long as it works. I, don't care. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, that 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 attitude does torpedo the uh, the entire point of this show. So just be careful on that one. Is is what I'd say. Uh, Richard Fernandinho or Walker? Do you reckon for for the position?
3: Um.
1: Well, or, or will he trust Stones? That's that's actually yeah. the question was sent my, my,
3: my ideal answer would be Stones and Othamendi, because they are centre-backs. Um, I want to see Stones get a full season in because he's brilliant. He is, regardless of, again, where he goes at the end of the season, he is a brilliant, brilliant footballer, technically gifted, good defender. Um, I want to see him get a full year and now is his chance, because we can't fall back on Vincent Company's experience now, um, and, and quality, obviously. Um, there was talk as well, though, of, of
1: Stones letting
3: mistakes get to him too much, like, like you were saying for Walker. That's why I want to see a full season from him because now he can't fall back on that. So yeah, that's it's really interesting, and it, it was um, again another great article by Sam Lee. That one I thought um, and really insightful. Um, but now, if he if he knows that there's no hiding place, he's not going to get dropped. Maybe it'll bring out a different sense of responsibility in him. And again, you know, it's sort of supposing his mental state there, so I don't really know.
1: We really are doing Psychology 101 this evening, aren't we? Yeah,
3: Yeah, sorry about that, Um, because I'm I'm massively unqualified. Um, A lot of
2: it comes down to his relationship with his parents.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so (laughs) Stones and Otamendi would be be my ideal. Um, But of Fernandino and Walker... I would give Fernandinho the nod but I also want to say he can hello play. I'm like mm. really excited to see yeah, him play. I'm like, so. Yeah,
2: rare to to see him uh, cut the mustard. Well, let's
1: uh, let's see what happens. Uh, Matt Asprey on Twitter asks, "What do you think of James Milner being involved in Vincent Company's testimonial team?"
3: I'm all for it. I, I liked Milner. The stick that he gets. Past tense there. Liked. I liked him That's as a, sit- a
1: very
2: good... Very well spotted. Okay. You're surprised so, by me being even barely
3: astute. All no,
1: right. I I had missed it. I'd missed it. I was uh, going to let it go, and you've, you've really journalistically gone in on him there. It's very <laughs> Paxman, that was.
3: I... Still like what he was for City. I don't have any dislike for uh, for him. I just don't care so much about what he does at Liverpool. I obviously don't want him to do well there. I I don't have any of the problem that a lot of City fans have with him. I think the comments that he's made since he joined Liverpool are all fairly normal things to say. And it's also normal that when he comes back that he gets a bit of stick for it. But I think there's it's beyond that. Like a lot of City fans have taken a huge dislike to him and. I think those quotes were—he's explained them away quite well. Anyway, um, I think it's pretty clear that he never intended to really ever dig at City. But what player doesn't go in and try and say something to You've please got the to new say fans? That, I mean, yeah. And talk about wanting to win trophies there and how good that team is. I mean, let's have it right—he's been proven pretty spot. He's on. a Champions League he's, winner now. He's, yeah, he's won the lot now domestically. So he's not going to look back on it as a bad decision, is he? I think it's. I think it's a bit unfair the stick he gets and he deserves you know, if company wants him there deserves to be part of that testimonial. But yeah. you do wonder, um with what? him being on the city side and like some like Shea Given not being, right. Yeah, yeah, but
1: you can't always you can't not have Joe Hart in the city team, can you? That's the thing. Yeah, true. What do you think
2: reception's gonna be like for, for Milner? I mean I, I personally hope. like you, I don't bear him any ill will. Uh obviously I was being tongue in cheek earlier. <laughs> It'd be really weird, won't it, in a
1: in a testimonial game, if one player is routinely booed and it's a home player. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be a bit
3: more pantomime though, won't it? Surely yeah. in a testimonial. Yeah.
1: I don't know. I mean I, yeah, I was
3: th- saying boo oring. <laughs> <laughs>
1: sorry um, about that. just I mean just on Milner he gets like one of the things he gets stick for Richard was running his contract down and I I I, I struggle with that because he, he still his performances were still 7 and 8 out of 10 while while he was it. So is he just it... loves to run though, doesn't <laughs> he? I'm going to
3: steal my line. Sorry, <laughs> mate, <sorry. laughs> um yeah. <laughs> He, he played to his contract. Man gets paid yeah. to do job. Man honors terms of contract. To, I mean, very, very well. He didn't phone it in, did he? He gave everything for every second that he was at sea. He was a big part of a couple of league winning sides, and he spotted an opportunity to go and play more. The one thing where it's fair to say it's not quite worked out for him is he went he there to play centre midfield, and that he's not got that. So, you know, if he wanted to be part of a great team and be versatile, then maybe he could have stuck around City and done that. But would he have played as much? Probably not. Would he have won mm. the Champions League? Definitely not. So, <laughs> um, I, he's not going to look back on that and regret it.
1: So. Yeah. Uh, Curtis Simpson again on Twitter asks, uh, other than Messi, who else can do what Sergio Aguero does? How does City go about replacing him when he eventually leaves?
2: Um, I don't know if it's a, a fair comparison, really, Messi and Aguero. I mean... I say, other than Messi, who can do what Messi does? Nobody, not even Aguero. But who can do what Aguero does for us? I suppose it's the talisman thing, isn't it, rather than a direct comparison between the players. So, yeah, I don't... Is it, is it a case then of going out, spending big,
1: and getting another talisman?
2: I don't know. I don't think it necessarily needs that. I mean, when Jesus has come in for Aguero, he's done well. People forget how young he is. He, again, we, we give people so much stick at, the, at this club sometimes for, you know, uh, undeservingly. And um, I don't know, know if it does need a, a talisman signing. Uh, who, I mean, who would you... I'm, trying, I'm struggling to think of.
1: I was just wondering if the player that could be there would be Raheem Sterling. I
2: knew you were going to say that. What, and just playing centrally? Playing through the middle. That's a great shout, yeah i mean he's he he goes from he keeps going up a level doesn't he so by, by the time by the
1: early. time Aguero comes to leave mm.
2: yeah, that's a great shout, sterling could be the best player in the universe, yes, <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. could
3: be sterling's on for a thirty goal season. I think, like barring injury or an unbelievable drop-off in form, this is his first 30-goal season ahead of him. He will be by the end of the season. I know he's already very well regarded and he's won people around and all that. But he's on for being one of the best footballers in the world now, Sterling. I think he will have that reputation cemented by the end of the year, um, or by the end of the season. Has let so, his goal
1: in every game record slip, though.
3: I take it all back. <laughs> Standard slipping. Um, and so, yeah, he, he could be a replacement. The problem is you don't replace Aguero directly because there isn't another player like yeah. him. Players like that are once in a generation. We are extremely lucky to have seen him for as long as we have. And you work out somebody else who fits the system, but you don't find another player who finds goal scoring as easy as Aguero. It's, they're not ten-a-penny, are they? No. Yeah. With
2: Sterling as well, if we are sort of putting him on that pedestal to take uh, take that place. I mean, we've seen him go from Liverpool uh, to City. Might there be a chance in the future of him perhaps just thinking, you know, I've done amazingly well. I've earned an absolute shed load. I've won everything I can.
3: Past is new, might go to... Madrid, I thi- or I think that's mean, the that's the big worry. Isn't I worry, reckon isn't it? he's nailed on for Madrid at some point. He's already done so much at City, and he's still so young that, and he's so ambitious that yeah. he's going to want to try somewhere else. isn't he at some point. Although, couldn't the same have
2: been said for Aguero, and we've retained his services over the I
3: Feel a little bit that's different a bit later in his career. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. I, I, think, hope, I hope he doesn't go. Mm, I mean, I say it was a a, a okay. shudder thinking that uh, it's possible, but you can't rule it out, can you? Yeah. So, but,
1: uh, final question for this week comes from Kieran Murray. He asks, "How can City get fans interested in the group stage of the Champions League after another uninspired draw? Are the cup schemes enough?"
2: No, I don't think they are. I mean, I've got a season ticket and I haven't gone for the cup scheme. I just, uh, I just can't justify the outlay for something that, well, the word that we're talking about is uninspiring isn't it and it, it unfortunately it is maybe like I, mean, I don't know I don't know the answer to it I really don't well the prices have been announced for the
1: Champions League group stage it's fifteen. It's from £15 for season card holders on the cup scheme uh, if you're not on the cup scheme it's from £17.50 the cheapest seats uh, general sale is from 20 quid. so if you uh, uh, the bundle for three on general sale is at £17.50 but you have to buy all three in the same area of the stadium so for three games on general sale you can get them for
3: £52.50 so the the pricing, if you take in isolation the Champions League group stage, pricing is absolutely fantastic. Even for allowing for the fact that we're not coming up against prestigious opponents and all the rest of it, 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 it is decent pricing. You can go and watch one of the best teams in the world for a very reasonable outlay. But the problem is the Champions League games aren't in isolation, so you can make a ticket available for £15 or £15.50, whatever it is, for season ticket holders. First of all, that's your cheapest seat. Not everybody's got access to that. Second of all, it's only £2.50 cheaper than the cheapest seat on general sale, so that's not actually a big saving or a big reward. So if you're rumming and ah-ing over whether you can afford the extra outlay, £2.50 probably isn't your breaking point, I'm guessing, Um, because I know know it's not for me when I'm making that decision. Um, And then... That is also then that fifteen pound is still on top of the four hundred. Uh, uh, your best case scenario: the four hundred odd quid that you've already laid out for your season ticket, or three hundred odd for the very cheapest of which there are a limited number of tickets available. You're still adding that to your cost, and mm-hmm. you are still including your travel. And you are maybe you don't go alone, so maybe you're still a parent who takes a child, or you go as a family. Like for me as a kid, it was a family of four that that we used to go as a. That's still a significant outlay. So, and let's have it right. And I don't want to like look a gift arse in the mouth and be too critical because it is good pricing.
1: And they are 50. I mean, the cheapest but is 15 quid.
3: They've not done it altruistically. If those games were against, you know, if we'd pulled out PSG or whoever, whoever I know they're not a part two team, Real Madrid, I think, we're a uh, part World two part team, city. weren't they? Do you think that Wouldn't the tickets 15, would have been 15 quid? quid? I, I mean, we'll never know, but I, I don't reckon they would have been. It's City doing their best to protect their pocket the cheapest that they can reasonably make it to retain prestige whilst bringing fans into the stadium to generate a bit of matchday revenue it's i don't i don't give the club any great credit for this it's i'm glad that i'm not going to fork out a load more money than i needed to but they've not done it out of love for the fans they've done it to make sure the stadium isn't embarrassingly empty
1: what's the solution chris is it plummet the prices is it kids for a quid what is it
2: well, I don't. I don't know the solution. That's that's. Uh, I'd love to say. Well, here's the magic formula. Slam it down, and then we all go. Yeah, that's a great idea. Let's free tickets that. for all. <laughs> well, yeah, Brewster's Million style. Uh, just chuck them all out. But I don't know if it was. I I did consider going. Um, I've had. I've I've moved my. I've moved season ticket this season to save a bit of money, and it's like saving about hundred quid, which is great. Um, but you know, there's, I've got other things, I'm not Rockefeller, I've got other things that I need to, to shell out on and I had to make the regrettable decision to not go. So I don't know if, what would make, what would have made me personally go, if there were a tenner each would I have gone? I think I probably would, yeah. So, so, it's, so it's almost there? It's almost there, yeah. I was a little bit, um, I don't know, that's not the question, We're going, I'm straying off topic a little bit, but on the subject of finance. Um, I just, I thought it, and it goes against what seems like the majority, but I thought it was unnecessary increase in the, uh, the t- season ticket prices. It was that kind of, that was like the straw that broke the camel's back, and I thought, well, I can't... Is that the reason you dropped out the Cups here? Have you dropped out this, this season? I have, yeah. And that was the reason? Um, well, it's part of the reason. Um, it's the, certainly the reason I moved um, season ticket to a different part of the ground, where it's uh, a bit cheaper, well, to the tune of a ton, so... Yeah. So really, if I've saved that, I should be going to the, uh the Champions League yeah, yeah.
1: games. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, so let, let us know what you think of the uh, the pricing structure and if uh, if you've got any solutions, at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter. Uh, but that's it for this week's show and if you're dreading this week's international break with no City game to watch, then you could sign up to become a Patreon backer and get yourself a bonus Blue Moon podcast to listen to and a whole back catalogue of bonus podcasts as well. That's available for a $2 per month backing and you can listen as soon as you sign up, so it's definitely well worth the money, although of course I would say that. For those who would like to be on the bonus show, you can sign up to the $10 a month and we'll get you involved at some point this season. All the details are on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. This week's bonus is a 20 minute bonanza about Vincent Company. Thank you for listening this week, and thanks to my guests, Chris Higginbottom. Much obliged, Tar. And Richard Burns. Thank you very much. I'll see you next week. Take care.
0: Is the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
3: You can cough if you want it because I'm at a point where I can... Yeah. <laughs> really, it's even ruder than that. I was yawning. I'm just... Oh, fair enough. <laughs> it's not you, I'm just really tired. <laughs> <laughs>